society. And in this last gathering particularly, we ask for your blessing so that we might find your will for our lives in the church and the ways in which our lives are to make an impact on our society and our fellow men. In your Son's name, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, amen. Some have asked for the religious ideas of Einstein, so I've gone through several sources and made a list of the things that Einstein said at various times in his life about God and about religion. And as you will see when you look it over, he was by no means an irreligious person, neither was he identified with any particular church body, which fits nicely into our theme this morning, and that is the church in the modern world and how we are to use our reason and our faith as members of the Christian church. If you still need outlines from previous Sundays, if you were not here, would like extra copies, I've laid them on the pew in the front here, as well as copies of the statement by Dr. Elier of Princeton. Please help yourself to extra copies if you wish. I've made plenty of them. And since this is our last session, if you decide not to keep the book, The God of Science, I would appreciate your returning it this morning. Also, I think I gave the book on the Born Einstein letters to someone in the class. Does somebody have that? I found when I got home last Sunday I didn't have it anymore. I wouldn't mind getting another copy, but I had all kinds of underlinings and notes in it. I have to read it again. While we're waiting for the outline to go around for this morning, The assignment for today was to read as much as possible in chapter 7, which concerns the views of the scientists in the book concerning the church. And I wonder if someone has a particularly potent passage to share with us that you saw in that chapter of how these people feel about the organized church. I have some favorites in there, and as you see in the first sentence of our outline today, it says, why do many religious people stay away from the church? And the reason I put it that way is because over and over, these people I talked to said, don't confuse those two concepts, religion and the church. We are indeed religious, but many of them said we do not feel it is necessary to affiliate with a church body. Many of them, in fact, said they were members of a church body when they were younger and then later made the conscious choice not to affiliate with the church. 
is particularly the statement by Dr. Hansen, who is now president of Purdue University and was a member of the Lutheran Church, who said that he was disenchanted by many of the things that were going on in the particular congregation of which he was a member. He makes a statement there, if you recall, that he felt the pastor was selling the Christian religion down the river by the activities that they were carrying on that had nothing to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were looking at movies and all kinds of other things in an attempt to keep the young people in the church and in the process were eliminating the gospel. It's the people that didn't like the. It's a little bit like Snoopy, that he likes. How does that go? He likes humanity, but it's the people he can't stand. <laughs> and you wonder as you read through it whether these people aren't using that as an excuse for their own lack of activity in the church. And one of them, you'll recall, made it a point to bring out that on your way up in science, and probably in all other areas it's true as well, they are so busy, so tied up day and night with getting to the top, that any other activity, including the church, falls by the wayside. And once they're up there, then they have time to think about it again. Now what should they do? And they become religious ones again, but don't quite know where to start. So to help us discuss this question, I've divided it into two parts. What are the purposes of the church? From the standpoint now of what we've been talking about, we're not trying to answer all questions, but rather how does reason and how does faith help us to decide what we as individual members are to do in an organized church body. And the first purpose, and if uh, you have some others that are not listed here from the assignment for today, please feel free to share those with us as well. The church should teach the word of God effectively. And the Bible passage there, Matthew 16, 15 to 18, is the one in which uh, Peter makes his confession that Christ is the son of the living God, and Jesus then says, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock will I build my church. So it obviously is the will of Christ that churches be established, and that they be established on a certain rock. What was he referring to? What is the, pur the principal purpose of a church so far as Christ is concerned in this answer to Peter? <coughs> It's one of the passages, by the way, that is in controversy between, in some respects at least, between Roman Catholicism and the Protestant Church. Because the question is, when he said to Peter, upon this rock will I build my church, was he talking about Peter? Or was he talking about Peter's confession of faith? We believe it's his confession of faith, don't we? That he said Christ is the son of the living God. And this is to be the basis 
the rock of every church. But is that enough for a purpose for a church? Do we need an organized church body to do this? I recall vividly on Friday when we had the students together and a group of our students called Christians in Action spoke to the rest of the student body trying to encourage them to become members of the group and to put their Christianity into action. And in the group where I was present, two or three very vociferous students got up and objected that the church is not necessary, that it is not at all important that you go there and that you become a part of some organized body, that you can do all your confessing of faith and Christian living by yourself and at home. Now, this is very disturbing when you first hear it from a student, but I'm sure that they were, and I've become convinced of this, especially on the teenage level, what they're really doing is mimicking the ideas of their parents. They're coming to school and defending what they hear at home. Why do people feel that way? What would you tell a person who tells you he can be a perfectly good Christian all by himself? This has to do with purpose number two. Can we convince a person or tell him effectively why we gather together as Christians in a group, in an organized body? Hebrews 11.25, I think, speaks to that. And you may recall that Paul was telling the Hebrews that they should not forsake the assembling of themselves together as the manner of some is. So he must have had the same problem. People insisting that they can worship God without going to church. Why? Is the gathering together so important? I don't know if you're familiar with the little book I referred to before by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the Lutheran pastor who became a martyr in World War II and was put to death by the Nazis because of his active resistance to them and by continuing to conduct an underground seminary in Germany. And in his little book, Life Together, he talks about that, why it is important that we gather together as Christians, and he was doing it at the peril of his life, gave his life for that purpose. And in the opening section of that chapter in which he talks about getting together, he not only tells how to do it, but also when to do it. And he brings out, and this is why uh, I have the question here, what should we do in worship and fellowship? He says there are three important aspects to our gathering together. One is to study scripture together, to read the Bible. Another one is to offer opportunity for joint prayer. And another one is to sing songs and hymns and praise the Lord. And he goes on to say that the Bible encourages us to do this, not only those three aspects of it, but to do it in the morning. Listen to some of these passages from Scripture that make it very clear that the morning is the best time to worship. Psalm 5, My voice shalt thou hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee. 
in Psalm 88, in the morning shall my prayer prevent thee. Prevent means to go before, not to forbid. Psalm 57, I will sing and give praise. Awake up my glory, awake psaltery and harp. I myself will awake early. And in Psalm 119, I prevented the dawning of morning. I got up before dawn, in other words. Psalm 63, O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. In the wisdom of Solomon, he wants us to have it known that we must prevent the sun to give thee thanks, and at the day spring pray unto thee. Ecclesiasticus says that the Bible student will give his heart to resort early to the Lord. Psalm 46, and in Lamentations rather, God's mercies are new every morning. He also makes an interesting point that there is a difference between the Old and the New Testament as to when the day begins. Think about that. The Jews begin and end the day at sundown. The Christians begin it at sunup. And Bonhaver's explanation is that in the Old Testament, the people were waiting for the Savior. It was expectation. Sundown is a time of expectation. You're getting ready for rest and then await the dawning. Whereas the Christians celebrate the beginning of the day at the time when Christ rose from the dead and fulfilled the expectation. So day for us begins with the rising of the sun. And that is the time, not as the Bible says, some people do eat the bread of sorrows and rise up early, but as Christ did himself in the Gospels, it says in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. And how often do we read the other heroes of faith, Abraham, Jacob, Moses, early in the morning. So not only is there a purpose for meeting with fellow Christians for Bible, reading, song, and prayer, but we should start the day therewith. Somebody want to add something to that. What else can you tell a neighbor of yours who says, I do my worshiping at home, I don't care to go to church where we see all the hypocrites assembled? You know what I heard one person answer to that, he said, why don't you come? There's always room for one more. <laughs> yes. experiences you've had trying to tell even a fellow Christian that the regular assembling of the Christians is not only God-pleasing, it's commanded by the Lord. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. So you hear, you hear the word of God from others is a strengthening thing. That's an important psychological point, isn't it? When you hear someone else say something, it has more meaning than when you just think it up yourself. 
I'm reminded of something Einstein said in that connection again. It's not a religious statement, but it has to do with people being together. He said, whenever we don't understand something, we sit down and explain it to each other. <laughs> There's a lot to that. As you hear somebody talking, even if he doesn't understand it fully and you don't, you begin to get insights because someone else's word carries more weight, really, in a person's mind than your own. And then the third purpose, or at least the three I have down here, the third of these three, is that the church is the place where you should learn Christian service and witness. This is where you become equipped for your duties. Who has Matthew 28, 19 to 20? Yes, please. Thank you. So the duties of the church are given there to teach, to baptize, and to equip yourself to do these things we gather together. Someone want to add another purpose that is not listed here. Why do we have a congregation of Christians? Pastor Hinch. Thank you. 
in connection with what he was just saying. Sometimes it takes someone else, I think, to point out your gift. You can have a gift and not really know it, but if we would share with each other, point out somebody else's gift to them as, as saying, I think that that's amazing that God gave you the gift to do that. That would be one of the ways we can help each other instead of staying all by ourselves.
Did any of you see the uh, part of the long search last week called the Romanian solution? Very, very <coughs> thought-provoking. And the reason I'm bringing it up in this connection is that it seems that the harder the church is persecuted, the healthier it becomes. And I think the person who's conducting this series on the religions of the world is becoming impressed by this fact. Because in Romania, which is a communist country, 80% of the people belong to the church, including the communists. And he asked this one communist official, how can you do that? How can you be a communist, which has as its very core the rejection of God as the opiate of the people, and then belong to this very ritualistic Eastern Orthodox Church? And he just shrugged his shoulders. That's the way it is. <laughs> That's the way it is here, or something like that. And it wasn't just a, a formal kind of thing they did. It was uh, the people he interviewed were very much aware that they believe in Christ and that this is, and they were proud of the fact that there have been no divisions for 2,000 years in the church there. Excuse me, Poland. thought came to me during the program, well, this, what if this happens in Russia? 80% in the church, it's better than we're doing here. <laughs> Shall we move on to the next section? How can we best carry out the purposes of the church? And I've just put down a few zingers here to get the juices flowing. Church should not claim to be perfect. I don't know if you've heard the story. Uh, Norman Vincent Peale likes to tell it. That once upon a time in this area, a billboard appeared saying, Christ will return to New York on Easter Sunday. And at first the people drove by on the LIE. They thought it's a pretty clever ad that must be for some kind of wine or whatever they're selling. And then more billboards appeared. Christ is returning to New York on Easter Sunday. And as Easter Sunday got closer, people began to get a little nervous. And on Easter Sunday morning, every church was packed because they were all convinced that if Christ is returning to earth, he will come to some church. But when people looked around, they noticed that nobody was in their own church because everybody was convinced that things were so bad in their congregations. <laughs> they went on some other place. That's a parable. You shouldn't try to compare everything. <laughs> Just the main point. The Word of God. The Lord is perfect, but people are not. If they were, we wouldn't need the church, would we? Churches for sinners. The church should not try to answer all questions. And this ties into what we've been saying the last three weeks, and it goes back to Galileo. They tried to answer the question of whether the earth is turning, and I just again read the very words that Galileo had to say. He had to kneel at the altar and say, O oh Lord, in front of your 
altar, I repent that the earth is rotating, and so on. They try to answer too many questions. If we would put it in modern terms, we would uh, bring up a question, and students do this. They say, now, the concept of black holes, this is a big thing now, black holes. Can't see a black hole, of course. But black holes seem to be there. They are the natural consequence, the rational conclusion of Einstein's theories, that if something collapses, if the Earth would collapse. The Earth is 99% space, like everything. We are, too. The atom is mostly space, and if it would all collapse, and we would just have the nuclei left, there would be so much gravity that nothing could get away. Everything would fall into it. And black holes come in all sizes. You can have one the grain of sand, you can have one as big as a baseball, you can have one as big as our universe. Maybe the universe is a black hole, that's why we can't get out of it. And inevitably the question comes up, is such an idea proper? Is that a Christian concept that the things should disappear into black holes and then be reborn? The latest thing coming up now is a white hole. That if everything goes into a black hole, it has to go somewhere. Well, someplace. It must all come spewing back out in a white hole. And the tunnel between the black hole and white hole is where you can trap the rest of the